You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. All right. So last week, we started to talk about how the original Christmas story turned the world upside down. We talked about how Jesus birthed into the world as a baby of a young unwed mother in circumstances of poverty and danger, challenged our traditions of consumerism and comfort. Many of us, as Michael shared last week, um, have taken the radical upside-down story of Christmas and turned it back right-side up. And the true story of Christmas can become hidden within the consumerism and the busyness of this season. But in the next few weeks, as we unpack the story of Jesus' entry into the world, we're encouraging you to let God turn your Christmas and your life upside-down again as you let go and... um, receive the amazing gifts that he can offer, hope, peace, joy, and love. So the time we're in right now is called Advent, and the word Advent means arrival or entrance. And for hundreds of years, the global church has divided up the year into certain themes or, and celebrations, and the time prior to Christmas is called Advent because it's when we prepare for the birth of Jesus. So last week, we talked about hope, which is the first theme of Advent. We talked about how having hope is a difficult thing, that an essential part of having hope is believing something that is seemingly impossible. But we also talked about how hope does not mean living outside the realities we face, but in fact, embracing true hope actually begins with facing the facts and realities that are in front of us. So, and then after that, it's to believe and trust in faith that there is something more that is possible beyond what we see. And you can find links to that sermon online on our website and on our Facebook and on our podcast and all the lovely things we have right now. So this week marks the second week of Advent and... um, The theme for this week is peace, as Michael mentioned, and it very much relates to what we talked about last week because I think that finding peace is equally challenging and impossible in and of itself as finding hope. So maybe our impossible dream that we hope for in the world is finding peace because it's very impossible at times. (laughs) So the question is, how do we live in the tension that remains when we all have hopes that seem unfulfilled? How do we live out of a place of peace and trust when so much in the world looks not that great? I don't know about you, but when I look at some of the realities in my life and in the world and really face the facts, peace is not the first feeling that arises in my heart. And when you look at what's going on in the news today, for the most part, peace is not the reality we see. Although there are many beautiful things going on in the world and in our lives, we live in a world where brokenness is very real. Instead of appreciating diversity, people are enacting violence against people who are perceived as the other due to difference in gender, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. People are needing to flee their homes and countries because of civil unrest and war. Political tensions are very apparent and cause us to wonder if what kind of future conflict will arise in our world. Economic downturn in various places has caused people to lose their jobs 
and struggle to provide for themselves and their families. We live in a world where divorce and separation and marriage has become the norm, and many kids are being moved between different homes. Children are getting shot by gun violence in their own schools, which should be a place of safety. Each one of us has pro probably has or knows someone who has lost a loved one due to cancer or some other form of terminal illness. So these issues aren't just out there, they're in our homes and they affect us and the people we know and love. And it's hard to stay in a place of hope and peace when actually looking at the realities that are going on around us. But I would argue that the sense of unrest and anxiety that may first arise when we stop and truly face the facts about what's going on in the world around us is actually a natural thing, it's not bad. Our gut feeling that this just isn't right points to a bigger reality, in fact, that you and I and this world we and this world were created for more than what we see right now. We were made for more than the remaining brokenness we see in our lives and in our relationships. So we've talked on other Sundays about the greater narrative of scripture, that in Genesis, at the start of the story of God in the Bible, it begins with God creating a beautiful world with human beings, male and female together, being created to reflect his true image on the earth. And human beings were created with a purpose to care for this created world and to live in harmony with their creator and with one another in healthy, vulnerable relationships without the presence of shame. But as the story goes, these human beings gave into a seed of doubt planted in their hearts by an enemy to this original plan, who was personified as a serpent in this story. And they made the decision to take matters in their own hands instead of remembering the loving nature, character, and actions of this God who created them and had good plans and purposes for them. When you see what's recorded in the stories in the Bible after this, but before Jesus comes, it's destruction, broken relationships, war, pain, and yet a God who is grieved and hurt as he sees his beloved ones experiencing that pain, and he is relentlessly pursuing him, them, to come back into relationship with him. But without having an understanding of the bigger picture story that's going on, it's very easy to look at those stories in the Old Testament, which is the time before Jesus comes into the story, um, and just be wondering, where is God in all of this? This does not look good. This is like, did God plan for all of this? And so I think as we read that and as we look at our lives, it's very easy and I think natural when we look at this, like what's right in front of us, to ask those questions. Where is God and where is the peace that he promises? And in the midst of the relational pain, in the midst of the violence, in the midst of the dreams for a better future that still seem unfulfilled, it's easy. The natural feeling, I think, is not peace. <laughs> um, so the story of Jesus' advent is, as we talked about, is the arrival and entrance of God into a world of questions and seemingly impossible hopes and dreams. So um, it's the beginning of God showing more tangibly where he's at in the midst of the messy realities we face. So um, we're going to look at one of the scriptures um, that talks about Jesus coming into the world. It's before it's 
earlier than, it was, it's 700 years before Jesus actually comes into the world, but it, it's um, in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet who is speaking to the people of Israel who were God's chosen people, who were going through a number of difficulties, wars, they were being invaded. And um, this prophet Isaiah receives a message from God to share with the people to bring them hope, which we talked about last week. So um, as we go through it, I encourage you to not think of it as a story from way back when, but to think about how you relate to this. If you were those people receiving this message, and as you think about the burdens or the things that you're feeling anxious about, just think about what it would have been like to get this message from God. This is just pieces and portions of it, but you can read the whole thing in your Bibles. So... Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 2 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So what were the circumstances... So if if God's sending this message to the people, what were the things that they were needing and what were the circumstances that were going on? So you see that there was gloom, that they were longing for freedom from distress, that um, at that point it says in the past he humbled them, which is not a, it sounds so nice and pretty, but being humbled is different than humbling yourself. So he was humbling them you know what that means, right? <laughs> um, and it talks about the people walking in darkness, and they were in a land of deep darkness. So basically, this message is coming into a world where gloom, distress, people are being humbled because they're not necessarily walking the way that God had originally intended. They're walking in darkness. They don't see what's going on, what the big picture is. Um, And even the land is in deep darkness. It's not just a personal thing. The entire land is in deep darkness. So what were they looking for? They were looking for, well, it talks about how they were looking for a light. And um, yeah, like they were looking for relief from this, right? So um, it's interesting to note that like this imagery around darkness and light is actually the very first imagery that's used in scripture. So when we go back to that story we talked about at the beginning in Genesis, God, the very first thing God says in the midst of darkness, chaos, it talks about nothingness. Like, so the words in that story in Genesis one is those, that's what those words mean. There was nothing present is that God said, let there be light. And then the light came and then order came. So I'm sure that the people who were hearing this story were thinking of that story. Like for us, we don't necessarily make the connections, but they were probably thinking, okay, this reminds me of what the first story was about. Like, and we're needing God to do that again for us. So we'll move on to this next part. Um, this is verse four. It says, for is, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. So the other thing that I think they're looking for is freedom from oppression. So they were under heavy burdens. They were, the word yoke is, um, a yoke is 
back in their day they would have understood this, uh, it's the bar that's on the shoulders of two animals that are carrying a load, like a cart full of things. They're work animals, so ox or whatever, donkeys, they would carry this bar, you, um, carry the load by having this bar across their shoulders. So um, this imagery is promising that there would be, that that yoke would be broken, that that bar across their shoulders would be relieved from them and the rod of their oppressor as well. So these people who were oppressed and under the authority of governments that probably weren't so kind to them, that the promise was that those things would be relieved. Um, and also it's interesting that it talks about as in the day of Midian's defeat. I think this culture was a very narrative culture. So it was reminding of a story in, in Gideon 6 where it talks about this guy, or not Gideon, Judges 6, where it talks about this guy Gideon who, it talks about him being like the least in his family and the lowest in his clan, but he is called to defeat these armies that are way too big for him. So it's like as in that day when someone who was so weak and shouldn't be the one to break it, like as in that day, these yokes and these burdens will be broken. And so... Again, the Israelites and the people that are receiving this message would have remembered that story and been like, wow, yeah, that was a crazy story. That was a miracle. Kind of like when Michael was talking last week about how Elizabeth's role in when God told Mary that she would have a baby and it seemed impossible. God used Elizabeth to be like, all right, this is possible. Don't worry. This happened before. So that's the encouragement that's coming for these people. So... The thing to remember is that this promise is coming, again, 700 years before Jesus comes into the world. So um, I'm sure they receive this message and they're all excited and they're like, yes, there's hope for our future that, that something's going to change. But it happened 700 years before Jesus came. Um, <clears throat> but in the next part of the scripture that we're going to look at, we're going to talk about some significant things about how this promise came into the world. Um, so Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So a child. So for unto us a child is born. So these people were waiting for a Messiah. They were looking for someone who could deliver them from all the oppression they were feeling. And the promise comes in the form of a child, which is not, that's significant, I think, because in that time, they were under political rule with very large armies and oppressed oppressors that were causing issues for them, yet the promise says that a child is born. So, um, yeah, the way, we, Michael touched on this a little bit last week, but the way that Jesus came into the world is important. And um, can somebody bring me some water? Sorry, I'm like getting thirsty. Um, so first of all, Mary was a virgin. We talked about this a little bit. So like Joseph was questioning, how the heck did this happen? We are betrothed to be married and you are pregnant. So there's that tension of the question of the legitimacy of this child. Did Mary commit adultery? That's a problem. Like we can look gloss over that and think, oh yeah, it's such, it's just a story. But imagine being a husband and your wife is suddenly pregnant and you didn't impregnate her. <laughs> That's challenging. Oh, I have water here. Silly me. Um, 
So he's a child to parents who don't know if he's really, the father doesn't know if it's really his child. And then obviously God comes in and explains what's really going on. But before that, there's tension. Um, he was born in a manger. So if you read, all these things are in like Luke 2 or in the first few chapters of the Gospels. He was born in a manger. And most of us don't think that this detail is a big deal. We see these beautiful nativity stories, but it's literally a feeding trough. So he's like stuck in a feeding trough because there's nowhere else for him, him and the family to go. Mary's nine months pregnant and she's, Joseph is having to go back to his hometown to register for a census. So literally, for, I don't know this because I've never been pregnant, but if you can imagine those of you who've been pregnant women going on a donkey and riding with like being nine months pregnant like to a different home. So they're displaced, they're, um, they're tired, and Jesus is first put into a feeding trough. Um, and we don't see Joseph, it's interesting. Like, so first of all, the, Jesus birthed into the world as a child. It's like in the least ideal circumstances. And we also don't see Joseph as earthly father in the rest of the biblical narrative post a, t- a short time where Jesus is heading to the um, temple and his parents are worried because they can't find him. But for the rest of the story, you don't even see Joseph in the story. So this is something I've never really thought about, but maybe Jesus for his earthly life was fatherless in the sense of like his, he only had a single mother, you know? So it's easy to glamorize the story and brush it over, but Jesus was definitely not born into pers- peaceful circumstances. He was born into relational tensions and some are similar and some are far worse to those that we currently experience. So The reason why this is good news and it's relevant to peace is that God doesn't avoid circumstances that are not peaceful. As we see in that passage, he enters right into that. And he, like, darkness and gloom and doom and all of that is actually the ideal conditions for God to come in. So the next thing it talks about is how he's a son. So this is significant, I think, considering that... um, Well, it's just significant because I think that one of the challenges we face sometimes in the midst of all of this is in the midst of the challenge, the issues we are going on in the world that we are going, that are going on in our lives is a question of identity. Like where are we placing our hope? Um, So a son. So this was fast forward 30 years as Jesus was, um, entering into his ministry for the first time. The first thing that happens after he's baptized, um, which is just a representation of him humbling himself, and and, um, it says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Suddenly the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So I think this is the second hope that, or the second place that brings peace is that Jesus, he would, his identity first laid, lied in his father affirming him as a son. And um, this is a blessing that would have been given uh, at a son's bar mitzvah. And so Jesus' earthly father didn't give this blessing. God himself gave that blessing. So We'll talk more about that later and where, uh, why that's significant. And then it says that the government will be on his shoulders. So this child who 
was born in the craziest circumstances, um, who is given identity by the father before he does anything, it says that the government will be on his shoulders. And so I think that's actually the biggest reason why we can have peace in the midst of all the chaos is that Jesus entered into it, that he models what it looks like to have that perfect relationship with God that was in the beginning by being a son first, not being overcome by the temptations of the world or even the calling he has on his life. And then it says that the government will be on his shoulders. And so I think today we're going to uh, look at what that means for our lives. Um, But the reason why we have so much anxiety in our lives is that so often we try to take the government on our shoulders. We look at the issues in the world. We look at the lack of peace in our lives. We look at the challenges in our relationships that aren't pointing to the greater hopes that we have. And we take it on our shoulders. We take on that yoke of that burden. And we forget that the promise of Christmas is that Jesus is going to Actually, even though it might not seem that way, he has the government on his shoulders. And some of that we see today, and some of that is for the future. So um, All right, so we're going to move on to the next part. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So we've talked about the greater narrative and how Jesus' entry into the world means that it's possible for us to give our, the government to Jesus. Like, there is a bigger narrative where there will be a time when Jesus comes back again. And that's when we actually will see full peace. We'll look at a scripture about that in in a bit. Um, But right now, you and I, in the midst of our circumstances, have the choice about what we're going to call Jesus for our lives. These are the things that the Christmas story makes available for us. So we're going to go through them very briefly, but eventually you guys are going to take some time on your own to think about these things. So I'm not going to spend too much time But just think about the circumstances that you're in right now. Maybe something that's challenging, um, something that's burdening your heart, something where there is a yoke on your shoulders, um, where you feel heavy. And think about these promises about who Jesus is called and will be called. So first, wonderful counselor. So I have a few scriptures. I'm not going to go through them very much because they're actually on your table and we're going to have time that you guys can look at them in more depth. But wonderful counselor. So Isaiah 11 verse 2 says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. John 14 Uh, There's various parts that say, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Um, He will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. So um, those are great things for when maybe there are issues in your life where you're like, I don't know what to do about this circumstance. I don't know this relationship. I don't know what the answer is what the next step is. Maybe you're struggling with your career and you're like, I don't know what, um, what I should do. And so 
Jesus is our wonderful counselor, and he will offer all those things, wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, um, be our advocate when maybe we're struggling and we don't know what to do. He's the one who's on our side in that. It talks about mighty God. So we see in, in the Gospels many instances about him being a mighty God. One that I really love and is the story of when he's in the storm and his disciples are freaking out because it gets windy and they're in a boat and the waves are crashing and Jesus is asleep, which is so like what we feel when we're in stormy circumstances in our life. Like, where is Jesus? He must be asleep. But he says... Um, he rebuked the wind and the waves. And what well, he says, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. And what they say, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So he has crazy power when they actually invite him into the boat and listen to him. And then John 14 says, um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the promise is that Jesus is a mighty God. He will and is able to calm the storms of our lives and we don't need to be afraid. Um, everlasting Father, so in John 14, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And it talks about how he, Jesus and the Father are one that, and that Jesus is in us and we are in him. So basically, God, Jesus coming actually gives us direct connection to the Father, back to the Genesis story, to be in that perfect and vulnerable relationship with God. He promises that he will be the everlasting Father. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and will show myself to them. So no matter what has happened with our earthly fathers or our earthly parents, maybe we feel abandoned by those in our lives and authority who are meant to um, bring love and comfort. Jesus, the good news of Christmas and this um, passage is that Jesus can come into that and give us direct access to the Father, the same way that Jesus experienced that um, affirmation as a son um, when God himself said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then finally, Prince of Peace. So this is a verse from Isaiah 4 to 9. And it says, with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will be put its hand onto the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy all on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covered the sea." So that's a beautiful picture of peace where um, that's a definitely an impossible thing. Obviously, it's a metaphor. Maybe it'll be reality, but there will come a time where that reality is upon us, where those who oppress those who are vulnerable will actually be lying down in peace with them, where children don't need to fear the dangers that would naturally harm them, where there will be perfect peace. And so um, 
yeah, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And you see in the scriptures in the Gospels that he says, and there's a scripture on the papers on the table that says, like, my peace I give to you. Like, I do not give as the world gives. And um, that's also in uh, John 14. So he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So the hope is that one day there will be a time where all of this is happening and we're living in a time when Jesus comes back where we will actually experience this. Like, I think I've only really started to think about this. I never used to think about like eternity or like the future because it just seemed like such a strange concept. But the things that we desire in our hearts for peace and to see things change, we will experience them one day. But, and so maybe that will, like maybe some of the things we desire won't happen until that time when Jesus comes back and establishes his government of peace and there will be no end. But the beautiful thing is that scripture says that we're to pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So although there's this future promise, God actually, or Jesus himself told us to pray for his kingdom to come, to, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.